It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Khalil Gibran once said, exaggeration is truth that has lost its temper. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Is there a difference between exaggerating and lying? Our theme text, Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And joining us today also is Julie. I'm happy to be here. I've been waiting a million years for you to do an episode on exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and there's the point. (laughs) Coming up in today's podcast, we all know that perjury in a court of law is a serious crime, but just Talking about someone can't be that bad, can it? We're going to talk about this in about 15 minutes. We all exaggerate all the time, and that also is an exaggeration. Can this seemingly instinctive habit really be that inappropriate? Find out what Jesus said about it in about 30 minutes. And if something is as easy and instinctive as exaggeration needs to be stopped because it's damaging, where where do we even begin? We have a process to suggest in about 45 minutes. But first, let's lay our foundation. Truth matters. This is something I imagine we would all agree upon, and yet we seem to rarely get to the truth. Why? Because we bicker with and debate those who see things differently based on our different versions of the truth. Enter exaggeration. It's a tool of language to make a point, sway an opinion, build up our ego, and embarrass others. Exaggeration, by definition, has within it seeds of truth, but they are suffocated by the fabrications built upon and around them. The ninth of the Ten Commandments focuses on not lying about others. It's about the necessity for truth in all of our interactions. When God said, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, did he also mean you shall not exaggerate about anything your neighbor has said or done? Do we need to be on our guard when it comes to exaggeration? This is, folks, a really big topic There's a lot of fascinating things here. To get started, though, we want to just do a very, very brief recap on the previous commandments to give ourselves some context. And we have put our recent Ten Commandments podcast conveniently in one place. Go to christianquestions.com slash the number 10 dash commandments to get all the links. Now, the first four commandments, that's have no other gods before me, don't make idols, don't take the name of God in vain, and remember the Sabbath. These are all about how to thrive in relation to spirituality and to who God is. But then it pivots. We're to honor our father and mother as the fifth commandment. And this is the first step in establishing how to thrive as a physical nation in relation to one another. And with don't murder or commit adultery, the sixth and seventh commandments are the first and most fundamental commands regarding our relationship with the entire human family and our most personal relationships within that family. With do not steal, the eighth commandment is foundational in establishing the personal rights of those in our community. And now today comes the ninth commandment. It's not as dramatic as the previous three, you shall not, the murder, commit adultery or steal commandments but it certainly carries great influence in maintaining a just and respectful society. It's found in Exodus 20, 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There are three words we want to define. The first, bear. It means to eye or generally to heed. That is, pay attention by implication to respond, especially to sing, shout, testify, and announce. The second word is false. And that means to untruth, by implication, a sham. And the third word, witness. A witness, abstractly, testimony, specifically a recorder. So bear false witness. Don't shout out or testify 
and untruth as somebody who is supposed to be speaking the truth. That's really what this is boiling down to. So applying these definitions seems to lend to the idea that this commandment is focused on legal settings. Do not speak or testify an untruth or sham when you are testifying about your neighbor. This legalistic approach to the ninth commandment is its most formal application, but not the only one. The Jewish law explained it in a widely applied moral sense as well. So first, let's go back to the legal, and then we'll expand it. So Jonathan, let's go to Leviticus 19, verses 15 to 18. We'll take this in pieces. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. So this is really interesting. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great because you're supposed to judge your neighbor fairly. Fairly, Folks, we completely miss this in our world today. When somebody is, 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 uh, is, has disfortune in their lives, they're poor, we tend to say, oh, well, we don't want to fully apply the law to them. That's not what Exodus said. Sometimes we look at people who are rich and powerful and we say, well, you know, they, maybe they're a little bit above things. Can't do either. Justice is supposed to be justice. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. We miss this. So you've got that legalistic approach, which is very clear that it should be applied correctly to everyone. Next is the very serious reminder about always representing truth when it comes to others. And again, we're in Leviticus 19. Now we're to verse 16. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you should not act against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. And that word... A slanderer means a scandal monger as traveling about. A scandal monger. There's something you don't hear every day, right? That's for sure. (laughs) Don't be a scandal monger. The implication here is that you spread dishonest stories as you go about your daily business. Don't do that. And we're going to bring exaggeration into this in, in a few minutes. But what we're talking about is the way the law describes this. And now finally, so we've got the moral, the, the legal sense. We've got that very serious reminder about not spreading uh, untrue stories. And finally is the matter of core values. You can have disagreements with your neighbor, but you're not. You are not to take matters into your own hands, either externally or internally. Again, Jonathan's Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you've got don't hate your countrymen in your heart. This is, this is hard, all right? This is, this is very hard. And then it says don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge. Internally and externally, we are not to treat our neighbors badly in this matter of false witness. Just a quick question. We're in Leviticus, but the commandment was given in Exodus. Yes. Why? Why did we go to Leviticus? <laughs> oh, okay. and, that, and that's actually a good question. Exodus, you have the list of the Ten Commandments, then you've got the rest of Exodus, you've got Numbers, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These books explain the law. They explain it, they expand it, they give us a sense of what it means in everyday life because you can't give an explanation in five or six words. And so that's why Leviticus helps us open it up and see it in the bigger picture. So Jonathan, as, as we wrap up this, just this introduction, we want to talk about speaking unexaggerated truth. And I want to say this is what we strive for, but to get to speaking unexaggerated truth, what we strive for, we have to look at what we struggle with. Just as the stealing forbidden by the Eighth Commandment usually involves deception while physically taking what is not yours, bearing false witness is also an act of deception to misrepresent the life, words, or actions of another person. That's pretty serious stuff. We don't want to go down that road of bearing false witness. So we're starting to put this in a little bit of order. Being untruthful about others has never been a good thing, whether we look at it legally or in a community-based way. What was the Jewish law's penalty for bearing false witness against another? How serious was it? As we have seen so many times before, penalties for breaking God's Old Testament law were no nonsense and they were severe. But before we get into this, we're going to look at an example of giving a false testimony before that Jewish law was written. This example shows us a subtlety similar to that of exaggeration. 
You know, before you do that, I never imagined exaggeration could be part of this bearing false witness, this this commandment. You know, we do it all the time without realizing it. So let's say I'm telling my sister wait, about wait, the wait, time. Wait, 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 wait. You do it all the time? That. <laughs> Just say it. See? See? We literally do it all the time. <laughs> it's very it's very difficult to not exaggerate. Okay, so you were telling your sister. I didn't mean to. Okay, so let's say I'm telling my sister about the time I went to the grocery store and I chose an orange from the bottom of the pile and several oranges rolled to the ground. But I'm going to make that story funny and tell her that like a hundred oranges came piling down on top of me and it bonked me on the head just to make her laugh and myself look silly. Is that a sin? Okay, that's telling a story. And, and you know, if, you're, if your objective is to make her laugh and she understands that you're going to embellish this and they needed to bring a crane in to move the oranges to find me, you know, that, <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's, that's a good thing. We have to be careful, though, and we'll, we'll, we'll uncover this in, in great detail, when exaggeration has to do with the facts of a matter about another person. So no, I wouldn't say that that is something that you need to worry about so long as the person you're talking to realizes that this is fabricated. You're taking a little bit and you're just trying to be funny. I, I, you know what? I love that kind of thing. Okay, so all exaggeration isn't evil. So you weren't too bruised by the oranges then, were you? Ow. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go to this example before the law. The account of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. We remember that. This occurred in the absence of the oldest brother, Reuben. This was important because Reuben didn't want it to happen. First, we have the dilemma. Okay, so we're going to lay out this story. First, we have the dilemma that will lead to false testimony, to bearing false witness. The dilemma, Genesis 37, we're going to be going through uh, 29 through 36, but start with 29 and 30. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So you have the dilemma. You have the dilemma. Joseph has been sold. That wasn't supposed to be the plan. There's this big dilemma. So now we have the plot unfolding to hide the wrongdoing. This is a major deception, a major false witness in the making. Verse 31 of Genesis 37. So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. All right. So they are creating a picture. They're creating a falsehood. Now we have the falsehood created to cover the sin, and now we will have the false testimony. And, but notice the extreme subtlety of this false testimony. Genesis 37, verse 32. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. So they bring the coat to Jacob. They say, We found this coat. It's full of blood. I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit. Is this Joseph's? And they let their father tell them his response. So the result is a despicable lie a horrible false witness, and it was given without speaking a single word. They let jo uh, Jacob look at this, and here's the response. We're in Genesis 37, verses 33 to, 30, 33 to 35. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. You see the hideousness of what they did. They bore false witness without speaking a word. They allowed Jacob to draw a false conclusion. The man mourns the horrible death of his son for days, and nobody, nobody goes to him and to, to, to comfort him and say, wait, 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 actually, he's still alive because they were covering their sin. Talk about bearing false witness. This is before the law, but look at the hideousness. Not a word spoken, but false witness everywhere. Jonathan, we're talking about speaking unexaggerated truth. This is what we strive for. But what do we struggle with? 
To speak unexaggerated truth is to speak what needs to be spoken, even if it is an uncomfortable admission of guilt. We can exaggerate by embellishing a story as well as by embellishing the thoughts and reactions of the one we are deceiving. Okay. The exaggeration doesn't have to come through words, but we can embellish the thoughts and reactions of the ones we're deceiving by what we show them. And notice this is including the telling of a partial truth because it was Joseph's coat. He was missing, but it's wrong to hold back that information that would have allowed the person to reach the right conclusions. And that was just cruel that the father had to believe his son was dead. So have we ever told partial truths? Something to think about. It is, and it's a big thing to think about. Now, of course, we know the end of the story. Joseph is spared, uh, and he's going to save all of them much, much, much later, many, many years later. But just let's finish up this account, Jonathan, Genesis 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the guard. So he sold into slavery. And folks, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus, Joseph being at Potiphar's house and some of the trials that he incurred, that he endured there. Very, very fascinating story. So stay with us for that. Uh, meanwhile, Julie, we've got a quote here. Okay, Robin Morantz Hennig said, the English language has 112 words for deception, according to one count each with a different shade of meaning, like collusion, fakery, malingering, self-deception, confabulation, prevarication, exaggeration, and denial. Isn't that sad? 112 words for deception? Um, But what about using hyperbole? You know, that's where we use exaggerated statements or claims that we're not supposed to take literally, like, I love you so much, I would climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest sea. Because even Jesus used hyperbole in Matthew 5, Uh, 29 and 30. Remember he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, throw it away. I don't think he meant Christians are to literally pile up offensive body parts. No, no, of of, of course not. And, and, And the key here, the key here is to understand that when you are making a point, again, it, it, we need to delineate when we're talking about someone and we begin to blow up the truth into something bigger than uh, than it is. That's a problem. But when we're making a point, you know, to expressing your love for your spouse, I think that's a wonderful thing to say those things. And we know that you're not going to climb the highest mountain. You'll get leg cramps, okay? And you'll need oxygen, <laughs> and you won't have it. You know, we 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 know all of that. But it is a it is a way for us to connect. But let's be careful about making sure we keep those things only where they belong only where they belong. All right, now, let's go to the penalty in the Jewish law for bearing false witness. First, first and foremost, the law was emphatic regarding the necessity for more than one witness in a legal situation. This would minimize the temptation to make trouble for those who don't like, uh, those we don't like, by spreading false witness or exaggerated statements. And we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 15 through 21. We're going to take it in several pieces. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. All right. You have to have two or three witnesses. It can't be one against one. This is important because it takes away that sense of, I can get you, and I know exactly how to nail you, and I know how to ruin you. So, that is something that the law said, it's got to be two or three witnesses. And now, what about when there's a malicious witness, somebody who's really after you? Well, that's, that's uh, dis, uh, discussed in Deuteronomy 19, the next few verses, verses 16 through 19. If a malicious witness rises against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the disputes shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. One of the ways God planted justice into the Jewish law of the Old Testament was to make it so that the penalties were severe to get the people's attention. This is a harsh but just penalty 
for purposeful and dishonest representation of your neighbor. If you are purposefully going to misrepresent them, you run the risk of suffering the consequences, the exact consequences you want them to suffer. And what happens when you do that and you make an example of somebody who does that because it's utterly, completely, totally wrong and, and there, there's and that's not an exaggeration, is it? Really? No, no, it's not. <laughs> that is that's not hyperbole. There's no exaggeration. That's clear. Here is how God describes the result of that. Again, we're in Deuteronomy 19, verse uh, verse 20 and 21. The rest will hear and be afraid, and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus, you shall not show pity, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand foot for a foot. So people look at this and say, boy, God was cruel in the Old Testament. No, he was really just. If you are wishing such things to happen to your neighbor unlawfully, then he says, have it happen to the person who is unlawfully and maliciously accusing them and see what happens when they suffer the consequence they were wishing on and trying to perpetrate on someone else. There is a strength and that kind of justice from the Old Testament, very, 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 very serious. God took honesty between his people extremely seriously. His law and its penalties were there to make people think before they acted, and I can't tell you enough how important that phrase is in terms of our not bearing false witness and our not using exaggeration inappropriately. Think before you speak. Think before you act. Bearing false witness at least, at least damages and at most can assassinate the character of another. We've got a quote, Julie, from Shakespeare's Othello here to prove that point. Okay, here's the Shakespeare. (laughs) Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Twas mine, twas his, and has been a slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. Assassination is a deliberate taking of a a specific life, and it is a deliberate taking of a character also. Ouch. And, you know, writers use exaggeration as a literary technique that describes things as being better or worse than they are in reality. Uh, We have an American author here, John Steinbeck. He wrote the book of Mice and Men, and he said, guys like us, they work on ranches. They're the loneliest guys in the world. And this emphasizes, you know, the extreme loneliness that they felt. So the audience knows exactly what's meant. There's no intent to deceive. It's just a way to creatively describe. So that's the exaggeration that's okay because the audience is in on it. And the key is, when do I exaggerate? And for what purpose do I exaggerate? And believe me, I exaggerate. (laughs) I do. We all do in one way or another. And now, see, I don't know that as a fact, but I'm assuming that that's true. See, that could have been an exaggeration right there. We're all imperfect, brother. Well, that's (laughs) true. Okay, that is true. But when we look at this, and, and we look at the, at the law and the penalty and the seriousness, Psalms chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, really kind of wraps this piece up very nicely. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Exaggerator might bring truths and lies to look impressive to others, and that causes confusion. I want to bring up another issue that we hear a lot about today, the term gaslighting. It's a form of psychological manipulation. It causes someone to doubt their memory, their perception, or their judgment, and it often involves exaggeration and false assumptions and accusations, and it's traumatizing. It impacts the self-worth of others, and in such a case, exaggeration here is intentionally misleading. The audience isn't in on it, and it's being used in an evil way. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, but it's all the same thing, a measure of bearing false witness. So Jonathan, we want to be speaking unexaggerated truth. That's what we strive for. But what do we struggle with? 
exaggerating and lying regarding others are symptoms of powerful pride. By engaging in these things, we are displaying to the world that we and our emotions are more important than God's requirement for honest representation of truth. We are displaying to the world that we and our emotions are more important than God's requirement for honest representation of truth. Case closed. We need to be very, very careful and very serious about this entire matter. When it comes to lying or exaggerating that hurts others, God's justice was and is a force to be reckoned with. The Jewish law was firm in response to bearing false witness. How about Christianity's response? The response from Jesus and the apostles regarding truth-telling is also firm. Our words regarding our neighbor must always reflect the facts of any matter. We should not use partially stated facts or facts conveniently out of context to prove our point. We should speak words that explain simple truth. And exaggeration often involves exasperation if we feel like we're not being heard. And this is where our endless supply of nevers and always come out. So telling your roommate or your spouse, you never pick up your clothes and I can't take it anymore is exasperation. It's not strictly factual, but it seems like he or she always leaves his his or her clothes on the floor. And in the case of my husband, he always leaves the lights on and he does not know where the off switch is, even though it's the same as the on switch. <laughs> so, we, so we always have too many lights on and that's no exaggeration in my mind. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, at least it's no exaggeration in your mind. That's right. So, so Jonathan, what she's really saying is that in their house, the lights are perpetually on. And so in the dark of night, when the <laughs> neighborhood is asleep, there's a glow. No, because I, and I may, keep wait, shutting wait, wait, all the lights off. Yeah, wait, it may be Area 51. We don't know. <laughs> but their house is glowing. <laughs> and again, you get the point. Julie's point is it feels that way. Did, did Does your husband never, ever, ever in your married life turn a light off? I don't think so. But it feels that way. And we need to be understanding and need to be careful when we express these things and make sure that we are not in any way degrading another human being with our exaggeration. We can have fun with it, but it should never be degrading. And this is an important aspect of this whole thing. And Julie, I'm glad you got Doug's permission to share that. I did, actually, <laughs> in all disclosure. That's right. Good. <laughs> all right, Julie, there's a fascinating quote from Wikipedia about exaggeration. Okay, exaggeration is the representation of something as more extreme or dramatic than it really is. Exaggeration may occur intentionally or unintentionally. The exaggerator has been a familiar figure in Western culture since at least Aristotle's discussion of the Alazon. And I'll just make a note here that in ancient Greek theater, the Alazon was one of three stock characters in comedy. He's a braggart who sees himself as greater than he actually is. So here's the quote. The boaster is regarded as one who pretends to have distinguished qualities, which he possesses either not at all or to a lesser degree than he pretends. He's exaggerating. It's the opposite of minimization. Okay, so you've got that very dramatic example of the Alazon, the braggart who thinks he's so much bigger than he really is. But the opposite of that is minimization. Now, see, this is exaggeration on the negative side of things. Let's, let's look at this, because this can also be very destructive. Let's look an ex- at an example of minimizing in the account of Ananias and Sapphira. These are in the New Testament. Christianity had just really gotten started, and this was at a time when they were pooling all of their resources to help support one another and really focus on the development of the gospel. Now, Ananias and Sapphira sold their property. They underreported the profit they received from the sale of their property and proclaimed a support for Christianity. The thing is, they didn't tell the truth. And so that underreporting was to sort of keep, not sort of, it was to keep the money for themselves and to hide what they really made. This was an untruth. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and again, this is an example of minimizing, and we're going to see how it attaches to exaggeration in just a moment. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself, 
with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So in this account, Ananias comes before Peter and, and says, here, here's the money we earned. Peter knows. Peter knows. He's, he's begotten by the Holy Spirit. He knows what's happening here. And he says, look, Ananias, the property was yours. It was in your control. After it was sold, it's still in your control. Why the, why the dishonesty? Why the lie? If you wanted to give this much, give this much. I'm adding a th- few things here to make a point. He is looking at this minimization, and it's a lie, and it's a dangerous lie. Minimization goes the opposite direction of exaggeration. But here's the thing. They're still connected. So our objective is to speak unexaggerated truth. See, that's what we strive for. But Jonathan, what do we struggle with in that striving? To underreport any matter can be as thoroughly damaging as exaggerating it. Engaging in an act of minimization can easily become a tool of exaggeration, a tool that falsifies our thoughts or positions to apply more godly, appear more godly than we are. So making a show of how humble or holy we are is exaggeration by minimizing for showy motives. So we've got to be careful not to be too big or too small. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. When in, in engaging in that act of minimization, it becomes a tool of exaggerating because you're exaggerating. They were exaggerating their, their dedication to Christ and to God. They were exaggerating it by saying, look at what we've done and lying in the process. So sometimes when we can proclaim ourselves to be humble in a way to get attention, that's the same thing. We're minimizing and exaggerating. We're exaggerating our piety when, in fact, we are being very proud and saying how humble we are. It's just, you know, we have to be so careful. This, this is not an easy thing. And, and folks, you're probably thinking, is there any escape? And the answer is really, no, no, there isn't. <laughs> However, what we need to do is learn to, to approach and deal with and cope with these things. So that's a story that gives us the sense of minimizing, and that's still a problem, that exaggeration problem, the bearing false witness issue. Jesus, let's get to Jesus, because you know what? He makes it all really, really simple. He nails down in a very simple way the principles of Christian communication. Here's what he basically says in these next verses. Simple speech portrays a clear message and a righteous conscience. Simple speech portrays a clear message and a righteous conscience. Here's how he explains that. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So it's really simple. Say what is clear to you. No need to be overly dramatic. Simply be a Christian of integrity. See, if I feel the need to say to you, Jonathan, Jonathan, I'm going to do this for you, and I swear to you on my mother's spaghetti and meatballs, I'm going to do this. Well, you'll have to, because they're awesome. (laughs) I've had them. (laughs) You you made me lose my point. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My point is, if I have to go to some level of, of saying some odd thing, I'm just showing myself to not have integrity. Jesus is saying, simply be a person of your word, Simply speak the truth, be it yes or be it no. And this really attacks this whole concept of exaggeration when it applies to others. Don't go down that road. Jonathan, there's a good quote here. Exaggeration is a blood relation to falsehood and nearly as blamable. 
And that was from Hosea Ballou. I got a personal story. I'm not too proud of it, but so my husband and I are in the market for a new car and the car dealer looked at our trade-in vehicle and said that they would give us, these aren't real numbers, let's just say $5,000 to make it simple. I already had an online offer for $6,200. So I knew they're low and told them we wanted a higher offer, but I didn't want to tell them what the offer was because I don't want to bid against myself. I just wanted a fair deal. So the salesman asked me, what was your other offer? And I told him, I don't remember. Okay, well, that was a lie. <laughs> so, so that's no good that this came out of my, la- my mouth. So I, stum- I follow up with a stumbling uh, around $7,000. Well, that's just an exaggeration. So it's true that 6,200 is around 7,000, but not really. So being a woman of integrity, in retrospect, I should have said, just give me your best offer because it's too low. And we're proven in the pressure of the real world and I feel like I failed on this one and asked God to forgive both my lie and my exaggeration. Well, you know, and first of all, it takes courage to say something like that. But, and secondly, join the club because we, <laughs> we, we seriously, we yes. all get ourselves involved in circumstances where we're in the heat of the moment. And like you said, I don't want to bid against myself. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, I'll, I'll do this. And, and we jump to that and unfortunately, we always overjump. Well, not maybe not always. That's an exaggeration. Okay. See, you did it again. See, well, and you know what? That's one of the stories of my life. I, this week, as, <laughs> as I have gone through the study on this, I have caught myself. And when I say, you know, 20, 30 times, that is not an exaggeration. In things I was going to say, say, wait a minute, Rick, you can't say that because you're adding your perspective to what should simply be a fact. Back up, start again. And how many times? And then sometimes I would say it and I'd say, well, wait, really? And then try to correct it. And it's a big lesson. So we all fall into this. We all do. And what we need to do is realize it. And like you said, as a, as a person of faith, we go and we ask for forgiveness. And no exaggeration there. We ask for forgiveness and we lay it before our Heavenly Father through Jesus. And we will be forgiven if we're sincere. And then we need to act in a way that is forgiven. We need to make up for things when we can and, and, and resolve not to go down that road again. And when we fall again, what do we do? We have to get up and go through that repentance all over again. You know, a great example, uh, great, I say it's a great example. It's a hideous example, but it's great because it makes the point, is those who stood against Jesus at the end, when they were looking to crucify him, they blatantly defied the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Remember we were talking about having two legitimate witnesses in Deuteronomy? Listen to what the chief priests and the council did. Matthew 26, 59 to 63, we'll take it in a few pieces. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. All right. They... That's horrible. They tried to obtain false witnesses. Not only did they, they didn't stumble on false witnesses, they looked for them. So to speak a false witness is one thing. To recruit others to speak a false witness, it's entirely something else. Do we do this ever in our exaggerated conversations with those on our side of an issue? Do we spread an oversized story that inflames their passion and encourages their exaggeration so they become greater false witnesses? Are we guilty of that? Think about this. Well, you remember on our last episode, we talked about the Jews being under Roman law during the time of Jesus. So they really couldn't keep the Jewish law perfectly because of dealing with new rules. My question is, How easy was it for the witnesses to give false testimony knowing they would not be held to the letter of the law? Yeah, well, there you go. When you take... Right, because they would have been put to death. Right. When you take away the consequence, you make the sin easier. It's really that simple. So, Jonathan, let's, let's continue. We're in Matthew 26. We're in the middle of verse 60. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated... I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. So the false witnesses came forward. They said something. The high priest puts it in Jesus' face, and Jesus is silent. He's simply silent. And the high priest is forced to change the question because now there's no accusation because you, Jesus is not responding. So even the false witnesses were not able to bring Jesus to crucifixion. As a matter of fact, Jesus had to help them. He had to give them the evidence they were looking for. And so he said something that he knew they would take to condemn him because they had nothing on him, even with the lies and the exaggeration. So what do we learn from this? Look, here, here's the process by which we rationalize bearing false witness and recruiting others to do so. And folks, this is a real thing. We do this. We have to be careful. We recruit others to bear false witness. Uh, and, and this is the example of Stephen, uh, the, the stoning of Stephen just before. Here's the lead-up, and there's several things that happen that we need to be aware of. First, the first point, we have a passionately held position that we believe to be unshakable. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. Let's do 8 and 9. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men, from what was called the synagogue of the freemen, rose up and argued with Stephen. Well, Stephen was so persuasive that their leadership positions were being threatened. They were, and they couldn't answer the arguments. So you have this passionately held position you believe to be unshakable, and now it's starting to shake. So the second point is, when met with overwhelming resistance and logic, what do we do? We stoop down to defend rather than stand up to discuss. And this is what happened in this example, Acts chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. But when they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit of which he was speaking, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Well, I wonder what actually happened when they secretly induced them. Could it have been a threat or a payoff? Yeah, something that made them get on board with speak, being a false witness, violating this ninth commandment. So the, the second point, stooping down to defend rather than standing up to discuss. The third point now, we take the exaggerated and the false statements we've encouraged— because they had these false witnesses now, and we fuel the fire of our threatened position. And what do we do? We create a frenzy. Verses 12 through 15 of Acts chapter 6. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man is incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all were sitting in the council, saw his face like the face of an angel. Well, we know that mob mentality overruns sensibility. Yeah, yeah, in a very, very big way. So the fourth point then is the result of this unrighteous, unrighteous exercise is a complete abandonment of integrity for the purpose of extinguishing a legitimate question or perspective, bearing false witness. Well, they stoned Stephen. They extinguished the problem because they couldn't overcome it. Exactly, exactly. Can you just imagine the when these men who had the false witness against Jesus come back in the resurrection and they realize what they did to the Messiah, how horrible they're going to feel? It's kind of like these spider legs that just come out of this monster of lying and exaggeration. And it's easy to exaggerate with these serious matters. In fact, maybe the more important it is, the more we need to watch out for our exaggeration. To our listeners, we challenge you to watch closely this upcoming week to see under what circumstances you use exaggeration. Put a filter on it. (laughs) (laughs) Put a filter over your mouth. That's what you're saying. (laughs) Well, here, good example. Jonathan, you like to drink coffee? I love coffee. Okay, so coffee, um, but do you like to eat the coffee grinds? No, not at all. Okay. Dump so, it out. <laughs> all right. All right. But see, here's the thing. You know, to get the coffee, you have to put it through the, the coffee grinds and, you know, it, it filters through and out comes the pure coffee. Let right. our words be like the pure coffee and don't go around chewing on coffee grounds because that's what <laughs> exaggeration is. It's disgusting. It looks awful. It doesn't taste good. And it doesn't do anybody any good. 
that, right. put a filter on it. Let's just get away from it. <laughs> okay. Speaking unexaggerated truth, that's what we strive for. But what do we struggle with? No matter how important we think our position might be, speaking falsehoods and exaggerating about those who oppose us di diametrically opposed to any hint of a godly character, let us cease and desist immediately. Don't go down this road. It is simply ungodly. So when it comes to the honest representation of others, the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees is dramatic. How do we go about recognizing, repenting for, and stopping our exaggerated approaches to others? Well, here we come to the core of the matter. At this point, many of us probably feel like we have too easily fallen into the exaggeration trap. To get out of such a trap requires several things, not the least of which is a replacement behavior. Learning a new habit will over time crush an old habit. You can't get rid of an old habit and not replace it. You have to have a new habit in place. So let's begin by looking at some mirror questions about our motives about w regarding exaggeration. Look in the mirror, folks. Let's look in the mirror and let's ask these questions, all of us. Why do I exaggerate? What am I trying to prove? What am I trying to hide? What does my exaggeration st say about me? I mean, these are important questions. Now, having said this, I just want to look at exaggeration from a different perspective. I have, and I'm telling you this, I have five grandchildren. They are the best, most beautiful grandchildren you have ever seen. As a matter <laughs> of fact, in my office, I have a, a wall where I have a picture of each of those kids, and I'm happy to have any of you come to see that what I'm telling you is absolutely the truth. Okay. So grandparents, everyone, they get a free pass. You all have the world's best grandchildren. We know. Talk to me, Rick, when they're teenagers. Oh, <laughs> there you go. One of them is, and he's still a great, great, great <laughs> kid. So, but you know, folks, ask ourselves, let's ask ourselves the questions. Uh, Julia, quote about resumes. Okay, Bo Bennett says, I love this definition of a resume, a written exaggeration of only the good things a person has done in the past, as well as a wish list of the qualities a person would like to have, right? Is that not a resume? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Now, I have a personal story. I remember when I was discussing with someone how I swim 50 laps a few times per week for exercise and realized later that I was only really swimming 44 laps. I used to do 50 when I was younger, but because I realized that wasn't being honest, the next time I swam, I made myself swim 50 laps, which just about killed me. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, did it really just yeah. about kill you? I, I can uh, probably swim no. two laps, so please. Now, all, all kidding aside, I realized this is happening so many times. I'm like, wow, what is wrong with me? This... This lesson has really woken me up. Thank you. Well, and I think all of us, in our, in our preparation, we all have the same reaction that, wow, I do this a whole lot more than I am comfortable with, and I've got to stop. So how do we go about that? A basic principle to begin repelling, bearing false witness and exaggeration. Here it is. Always seek out and hold fast to righteousness. It sounds so simple, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start with that basic foundation. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 and 21 and 22. See that no one repays anyone with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So when we look at these verses, it puts us in a perspective to be clear, don't repay evil for evil. We can do that by exaggerating. Always seek after that which is good. That means we don't exaggerate because we, good is truth. Uh, examine everything carefully, especially our own words. Hold fast to what's good, not what's exaggerated, what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. Exaggeration can be desperately evil. To follow the, the following, the following quote is a great example of how a true Christian should come across to those around them. So Jonathan, this is a quote from the book, The Road to Character by author, the author is David Brooks. Occasionally, even today, 
you come across certain people who seem to possess an impressive inner cohesion. They are not leaning fragmented, scattershot lives. Their minds are consistent and their hearts are dependable. They are trustworthy. They're not, they're, they're not leading fragmented, scattershot lives. Minds are consistent. Hearts are dependable. That makes a trustworthy person. That's a person who's a straight shooter with truth. Let us always make sure, especially when we're talking about another individual, we leave exaggeration far away because the facts need to be the facts. So how do we do this? Let's figure this out. A Christian recipe for a dependable and trustworthy life. We have for you here seven steps that come from one set of scriptures that are going to help us put this all in order. First, we need to decide to change our ways. And we're going to go through Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, starting here with verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So decide, decide to change your ways. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Clear speech and accurate representation of my thoughts, especially when angry or in an argument, is a clear-cut, absolute, necessary objective. Decide to change my ways. And watch when we're angry or passionate about something, because it's easy to speak only the convenient parts of the truth. You know, those parts that make our side look better. Amen. Amen to that. And that's huge. That's absolutely huge. What's next, Julie? Okay. So second, we need to acknowledge our weaknesses, and we have many, and acknowledge our reactions with the objective of taming them in a timely fashion. We continue with Ephesians 4 with verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. All right. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to sin as a result of being angry. Let's make sure we're clear on that. And and Julie, you mentioned this before, you know, the you always and you never type statements. They are very much exaggerations, and they are not clear, and they are not helpful expressions of accusation. Because when somebody says you always... And I, my immediate thought is, no, I may do that a lot, but I don't always do it. And now my reaction is, I'm going to defend myself because you just lied about me. Now, you're trying to make a point, and I'm saying, in my own mind, you're lying. So we've got this clash that we create, and we make it bigger with statements like this. Speak the truth, each one to, to, to all. Be angry, but don't sin. And that means taking exaggeration out of my description of somebody else. What's the next point? So third, we need to be aware of how easily Satan can and will exploit our earthly mind. Ephesians 4, 27 to 28. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So we have to be aware that Satan is watching and he's ready we, when we bear false witness, when we exaggerate, what we are doing is we are stealing goodness from our neighbor. Think about that. That's a, that's a dramatic thing. You're taking their goodness away by misrepresenting them. Rather than taking from them, let us instead, as Ephesians 4, 27 and 28 said, let us instead be engaged in productive behavior so we can give to them in love. Don't give the devil an opportunity. And the natural sense of exaggeration is a human thing that Satan can use and turn a conversation into an attack because we're exaggerating and we're not stating the truth. What's the fourth point? We need to replace our words of untruth and exaggeration with words that build up in truth. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So replace words of untruth and build up in truth. It's very simple, but it's very difficult. These, these phrases, you know, you, you, you always and you never. Try this instead. If, you, if, if, if we feel like we need to go down that road, try this. It seems like you always. It feels like you never. 
See, these are much more accurate ways to express how I feel. Try these. You know, it seems to me, or from, from where I sit, it looks like, or my perspective is, it's a very different approach that can actually stimulate a conversation rather than just defense. And watch out when we're getting emotionally charged and we want to make a point or feel like we aren't being heard. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the big dangers is when we feel like we're not being heard, we tend to engage exaggeration, overdrive exaggeration. And here we go. And you so know, from where I sit, it looks like every light's on in the house. That's right. And, and the house <laughs> is going to start levitating anytime because it looks like it's, you know, anyway. Right. <laughs> but see, here, 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 here's the difference. The difference is what we're doing is we're displaying emotion when we really should be focusing on disclosing facts. If right. we're displaying emotion, let it be that way, but preface it, it seems to me, I feel like. And that way you can at least get through these things. Point number five. Uh, we must be aware that our standing with God very much depends on how we treat and speak about others. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's a very simple, straightforward uh, um, uh, statement. Don't grieve God's Spirit. We grieve God's Spirit when we're not listening to it. But instead, we need to follow, uh, because, because we're, we're following our flesh, we're not listening to God working in us. And that be, creates a, a big problem. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing anything that would cause grief to our new minds or that would bother our conscience that we are, because we are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't cause pain or distress. So again, the, the point is we have to be aware that when we go down that road and we begin to exaggerate about others rather than stating simply facts, we're grieving the Spirit of God because we're being a false witness. And you may say, well, it's only a little bit. Look, if it's on the wrong side, it's wrong. Let's, let's, face, let's face those facts. Point number six. We must pull the plug on our slanderous and exaggerated habits of thinking, drain them away. Verse 31 continues. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Put those things away. And I like the picture of pulling the plug. Drain it away. Because when it goes down the drain, trust me, you don't want to go down there after it. Okay? If you've ever cleaned out a drain, not a pretty picture. Let all that stuff go down the drain because that we, we, we don't want to be part of us. This requires conscious and disciplined effort. Intentionally put these things away. Julie, what's our last point, point seven? So finally, the seventh part of our Christian recipe for a dependable and trustworthy life. As habits of slander and exaggeration drain away, we must fill ourselves with the simplicity of kindness, the compassion of tenderheartedness, and the mercy of forgiveness. We end with Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And uh, we've been uh, studying Proverbs uh, in our Sunday uh, Bible studies, and Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4 really impressed me. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Yeah, it just really puts things in perspective. Simply be a genuine disciple of Jesus. That's it. So, so Rick, is there a difference between exaggeration and lying? That's the title of this episode. The, you know, the difference is that exaggeration does have a place when we're telling a story, when we're being funny, when we're, when, we're, when, we're, when we're kind of joining in with things. But it has no place at all when facts are part of the, the matter. When it comes to facts, exaggeration does not belong and ends up being a false witness. And you decide, this is hard. Trust me, I know because I experienced it when I looked myself square in the eye this week again and again and said, what am I doing? So we have to be really, really careful. Jonathan, we want to speak unexaggerated truth. That's what we strive for. But what do we struggle with? The ability to speak the truth in love can be elusive. To do it, we need to recognize its God-honoring place in our lives. We then must desire its presence, weed out what stands in its way, and practice its delivery. 
Then and only then can speaking unexaggerated truth begin to become a life-changing habit. So folks, as we wrap this up, we're talking about something that's so simple, so common, so everyday. We exaggerate. We do. Okay, what about it? What am I exaggerating about and why? And if I am ever, ever misrepresenting the facts of a matter or another person or another perspective or a circumstance, I am bearing false witness with my exaggeration. If I'm having fun with my family and I'm telling them a story so they can laugh, exaggerate away, laugh together, but make sure it stays where it belongs. Do not bear false witness because God has said very clearly, and Jesus has supported, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Don't go down that road. Instead, speak words that honor God. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Now, coming up next week, next week, can humility keep me from success? Can humility keep me from success? Talk to you next week.